Are you a creative? I think you are. And that's why you should join my circle community, the Creative Study Lounge. Listen, we all know how social media is right now with all the lying, the bots, the ads, the shadow banning, your posts not getting seen, the requests from people you don't know, the strange activities. Social media is a mess right now. So that's why I decided to create a community just for creatives where we can get down and talk about writing, video games, art, development, things in popular media, whatever we want, or just some nonsense. There's a place for it all. It's at the Creative Study Lounge. And while you're there, you can get the merch, send me questions, comments, ideas, and you can generally support the podcast. Check the links in the description. We'll be adding more as time goes along, but hey, it's a good thing. CreativeStudyLounge.com or check the links in the description. Once again, that's CreativeStudyLounge.com or check the links in the description. And you won't have to listen to this dumb advertisement. Now let's get on with the program. Joe Rogan, the podcaster, comedian, mixed martial arts enthusiast, and general pain in the neck for a lot of people, and conspiracy theorist, and general topic of discussion, has just cleared a what people are calling a $250 million deal with Spotify, the reigning podcast distribution app out there. This is big news for podcasters. We thought that the $100 million deal a couple years ago was big. Now we've got a $250 million deal and it's non-exclusive. Going to be getting into a little bit of my thoughts on that, what it means, what I'm, I'm learning, what I understand of Joe Rogan. And I know a lot of you want to know what I think about Joe Rogan. A lot of people seem to be very interested in my thoughts on things. I tend to try to remain a gray Jedi on a lot of matters, but I will let you know what I think. Ins and outs about what I think on things. But anyway, Joe Rogan, $250 million deal. That's what we're going to be discussing today on Creativity Threads Life. I almost, I almost called out the name of the old podcast. This is Creativity Threads Life. We are in our 20s in the episodes here. So we've already surpassed most, literally 99 or 98% of podcasts out there. We've already surpassed most of those by hitting this mark. Thank you for all of those of you who listened, those of you who have supported, those of you who have joined the community on Circle. I do not have a Patreon. I have a Circle. So those of you who joined that Circle, thank you very much. We are getting, getting some action and some headway there moving forward. I um, want to thank you all for those on threads who have commented, made suggestions, reposted, and, and generally supported there. I want to thank my Instagram family. Hopefully, if I say positive things about Instagram, it won't disconnect me like it did last time. I think I picked up my phone and something was running in the background on Instagram and decided that it should log me out and kill my stream. So apologies to those who missed that stream. But anyway. Today's topic is Joe Rogan and the $250 million deal. That's not all about the deal, but that's what we're going to start with. So in case you don't know, I'll even back it up a little bit. Joe Rogan was paid. He's a podcaster, by the way. I assume most of you know who he is, just by name alone. But Joe Rogan was paid $100 million a couple years ago for exclusive rights to his sitting in a room talking. This deal was big, shook up the industry. Everybody found out what Spotify was up to. Everybody started learning how serious this whole podcast game was. And they decided to take it exclusive. Now, what, what did that exclusivity mean? Well, basically, the podcast was there and nowhere else. So if you want to listen to Joe Rogan, you had to go to Spotify to listen to it. You had to download the app, maybe become a paying member, listen to all their ads, but you, you had to go to Spotify if you wanted to do that. A lot of people were like, well, screw that. I'm not going over to Spotify just to listen to Joe Rogan. It's like, fine. A lot of people were like, screw that. I'm already on Spotify and I'm going to leave because of Joe Rogan. Neil Young, I think um, he, he, he said, put down the ultimatum. If you're, Joe Rogan's on Spotify. Joe Rogan and Neil Young can't be on Spotify at the same time. We're not exactly sure how he meant that ultimatum. He said some wild things in the past. So we're pretty sure that was just an ultimatum and a stance on who he, who he was. But 
it could have meant other things. And yeah, a lot of people were very upset with Joe Rogan for the conspiracies, the, the lies, the racism, the allegations of these things. I'm not making a stance on whether you should be listening to Joe Rogan or not. We'll get into that in a second. Creek's currently over 2,000 episodes in, so definitely not going away. But this exclusive deal set up Spotify in a weird way. It, they, they took Joe Rogan in, a lot of other exclusives they got. They started buying up podcast companies and media companies and then shutting them down. They, they really didn't figure a way to monetize them properly. And they just picked them apart, took them for their separate individual pieces, integrated them into the Spotify universe, and then they're continuing about their business. It's one of the ways that these types of corporations work. They buy a business. That does not mean that they want to continue the business. That may mean that they want to get rid of it by absorbing it. And they may crap it out later, which is what happens sometimes. Anyway, $100 million deal to get him exclusive. Now, then, this, then you start to wonder, well, wait a minute. How does he have a $250 million deal, which is what the Wall Street Journal was reporting? Numbers could vary by 10, 20 million, give or take, or maybe even less than that, uh, more than that even. But they offer him this $250 million deal. So now we've gone from a $100 million deal to a $250 million deal. Thing about this $250 million deal is that it's non-exclusive. So you're thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute, why would you go non-exclusive and pay more money as part of the deal? Well, I was wondering about this too, and I started looking into it. And I think DJ Academics, who also was paid a lot of money by Spotify, they paid him that much money to basically put his property out there with their distribution. So now that they had him exclusive and everybody's still clamoring over Joe Rogan and the the excitement for his podcast has only gotten bigger. Now you have a situation where, well, wait a minute. Now that we've gotten pretty much everybody who likes Joe Rogan onto our podcast. Now that we've pretty much got everybody who likes Joe Rogan onto our platform. All the people who didn't check out Spotify before, all the people who weren't listening to podcasts and who were just listening to music or whatever, they've dropped their other players. If you look around, if you're on Google and you share a podcast, you're pretty much sharing through Spotify. That's kind of the default standard. Let's share it through Spotify just to make sure it hits everybody. If you're on Apple, you may share your Apple podcast link. But for most people, it's just like, eh, if you want to hit the most people, just share the Spotify link to everybody. So basically, they have everybody who they wanted to get on Spotify from these couple years of getting Joe Rogan exclusive and everybody else exclusive that they wanted to get, they've got them into the, into the ecosystem and they've onboarded them. That's one of the biggest problems with a lot of businesses, getting people to onboard, get on the train, start using the, the technology or the platform or just get into the whole ecosystem that they have. The first thing they want to do is get you onboarded. So now that you have all these people onboarded, it's like, okay, now we have them on our platform. Who else can we get? Well, we could start talking to the people who wouldn't have listened to Joe Rogan on Spotify, and we can start talking to them outside of Spotify. So that means they can start putting their podcast everywhere else. But with owning the distribution, the way that Spotify is holding on to it, owning the distribution, they can now push that distribution out or push that product out, that podcast, that information, and whatever else. There could be many parts of the deal that we don't know about, um, appearances. Uh, it could be, you know, scheduled licensing of certain aspects of the show, certain shows in particular, all kinds of ways that they could be leveraging and using this deal with Joe Rogan. So we're not quite sure what that is. Joe Rogan hasn't made much information public on it. He tends to keep quiet on the Spotify deal, except to say that he's happy. He should be. He's got this big studio in Austin now. He pretty much does his own thing. But 
now that they can control the distribution, they can send out Joe Rogan podcast with certain ads to certain areas. So now that they control the, the podcast and they have him on the platform, now they can say, okay, we have this. We built up the ramparts. We've gotten the moat, gotten the castle walls built up together. Now we can start reaching out and getting more listeners in touch with our ads, in touch with our influence through Joe Rogan. And that is worth apparently around $250 million. So it's a big money game here. But I don't, I don't put this out here to just talk about the deal. Um, as you know, this is a creative podcast. We talk about creativity and how it threads through life. And there are quite a few lessons to learn. And I actually have, I actually have nine things that I learned from Joe Rogan that I'm going to get to in a minute. Maybe I should have front loaded that in the beginning a little bit. So you stick around long and you're probably sitting up there saying, oh, great. This is awesome. I love Joe Rogan. Or you're saying, this is terrible. I hate Joe Rogan. Why are you even talking about Joe Rogan? I don't know why I'm listening to you. If you listen to Joe Rogan, I hate you. Seems to be, there seems to be a very polarizing viewpoint on Joe Rogan. So let, let, me, let me address that right now. So I brought up Joe Rogan to somebody. I didn't actually bring it up. I was just uh, walking and I had, I didn't have my headphones in, my earbuds. So I just had Joe Rogan playing audio in my pocket. I was just kind of listening to him talk to Mr. Beast. And Mr. Beast is a famous YouTuber, billion, billion views. He's got all these people following him. He does these crazy shenanigans and stunts on his YouTube page. Very intelligent person about the development of YouTube videos. So I was listening to what he had to say about productivity, creating YouTube videos, being out there in mass media, the new economy of being an influencer, producer on your own, etc. So I was listening to the Mr. Beast, Joe Rogan discussion because they're two intelligent people and Joe Rogan has a very good way of getting, to inf getting information out of people. And this is Mr. Beast, so I wanted to listen to him. Somebody I knew stopped me. And because I was just with some people at the time, somebody stopped me and said, and said, you're listening to Joe Rogan? And I got really upset and like frowned their face and just didn't like the whole vibe. I said, all right, why? Well, all right, why, why did you ask the question like that? Well, Joe Rogan's a liar, misogynist, racist, con artist, conspiracy theorist spreads misinformation, muscle head. I just don't like him. I said, okay, hold on a second. What don't you like about him? And they repeated that same list. So not that I'm defending him because I'm going to remain gray Jedi here. I don't typically care what you think about what I ingest or anything, but the key phrase that I tuned in on was when she said, you listen to Joe Rogan. And I said, yes, but I think her version of listen to was different than my version of listen to. And this is where things got a little interesting for me in my head. So when someone says they listen to somebody, what does that mean to you exactly? Like, does it mean like you listen to your parents or you listen to the preacher? Or do you just listen to the weather report to get the information? What do you mean listen to? Because their, their version of listen to seemed to imply that I stand by everything Joe Rogan says. Or I look to Joe Rogan for guidance. Or I just like him, so I, there must be something wrong with me. I don't tend to do that. I don't think that way. I will listen to preachers and not be a Christian. I will listen to atheists and not necessarily believe that there isn't a higher power. I will listen to people who start fights and cause problems and not want to cause fights or start problems myself. 
I try to go hear what people are saying for not indoctrination, but to know what they're saying. I don't know of a way to put that without sounding like, like if I say I want to hear what somebody has to say, that even sounds like I'm trying to back them or go about them. And that's not what I'm doing. Friend caught me, one of my friends <laughs> was at my place, right? And um, we, were at, we were in the same place together. And I was flipping through the stations and I stopped on Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity, right-wing guy. Sean Hannity started talking noise, blah, blah, blah. Something about right-wing and whatever, Fox News kind of business. Fox News kind of stuff. Fox Business is actually pretty solid on their business. They're, they may not have their facts together on the news side, but their business side may not be morally correct, but they're pretty solid on the business reporting. Anyway, so I turned to Hannity. I was like, huh, this is interesting. Person's like, why are you watching Hannity? Da, da, da. I'm like, well, he was talking about X, Y, and Z. So I replied, I wanted to hear what he had to say or something like that. Person turns to me, like, oh, dude, listen, I love Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson's great. Hey, man, and started going in on this. I'm so glad you're right wing rant. And I'm thinking, no, I think a lot of their positions are horrible. I don't agree with much of what they have to say. I think their stance is bad for a lot of what's going on. Um, I don't think Fox News is the place to be getting your moral compass aligned. Uh, this is, I, I just, I'm not on that side of the fence in general. And they were like taken aback, like, oh, oh, wait, wait, hold on a second. Why were you watching, you know, Hannity then? I, I wanted to talk about my, uh, dude. We live in an area of nuance, but you're not being nuanced in this discussion. So do I quote unquote, listen to Joe Rogan? I'm, I need to, I need to set this up a little bit before I go into the rest of this. That's why I'm doing this. So do I quote unquote, listen to Joe Rogan? No. Do I quote unquote, try to hear what he has to say because I think it's beneficial to humanity? No. Do I tune in to Joe Rogan for the information that it may provide at times? Yes. Why? Because I don't care what people think. Because I don't care what you may, what stances you may have. I am able to walk into a, an establishment and separate myself from what the establishment does. A lot of people think that's not a way, good way to live life. That's fine. Do I think he's racist? I know I'm posting this in Black History Month. I was going to post my Luke Cage discussion at this time, but Joe Rogan was on my mind and I already had some notes ready for that, so I decided to start with this. But do I think he's a racist? Um, he has extremely problematic views on race. And I've met people like this. I was raised in North Florida, South Georgia. I know about all the problems in Forsyth County and I've had a knife pulled on me for racial reasons in, in high school. Actually, I was in middle school at the time. I've had many things said to me, around me, about me, behind my back racially that are extremely problematic. And yes, Joe Rogan does fit under that umbrella. Intentional or not, and I, I assume it's not intentional. I, in, intentional. I assume it's not like the hardcore racism that people are always worried about with, the, with hearing about stories from the South. Is that any better, better than the left-wing softcore racism or whatever? I'm not totally sure. But he's here nonetheless, um, doing his thing. So the problematic kind of racism, listen, um, there's no need to say the N word as many times as he's done. 
I can understand the use of the word and trying to get to a certain understanding, but I still don't rock with it. When I say I understand it, I mean, I, I can look at a chart and say, okay, I see how you started here, go through a flow chart and I see how you ended up at the other side. That's what I mean when I say I understand it, not saying that I'm understanding of it. I feel like I'm doing a little, too many little caveats here about this. I'm not just calling him out, whatever. As I said, I tend to not do that with people. I tend not to go around labeling or broad brushing or getting bent out of shape. I think we've got a little bit too much of that going on. Do I think his views could be improved? Definitely. Do I think he listens to a lot of people that are on the unfortunate side of race? Most definitely. Do I think he needs some education? Obviously, he has access to it, so he see, prefers to see things the way he wants to. Whatever. If we had a discussion, I'd be sure to bring it up. Anyway, do I, I think he's a misogynist? Actually, um, actually, I don't know. Do I think he's a conspiracy theorist? Absolutely. Do I think he's a liar? At this point, yeah, but this is not a journalist. And this, this is the part of the part of the pill to swallow if you're listening to a comedian whose primary primary outlet is entertainment and loosening boundaries in general. That's what a lot of the comedic stance is for, to loosen boundaries and discuss things. Not necessarily that it's right or wrong. You know, is he transphobic? These aren't questions I am going to really sit back and answer. You're not going to try to pin me in a corner on answering any of those. I can say, yes, I would have said this instead. I would have done that differently. But I used to do stand-up comedy. I did it for, for three years straight and on and off for several years before and after that. Why did I, uh, why did I do stand-up comedy? Um, I'm funny as hell. That's why. Anyway, so I say all that to say that these are nuanced times and we're getting into a little bit of a polarizing state of affairs. And that is one of the reasons why he's paid this $250 million in a deal. That's one of the reasons why he's been the top podcaster for almost five years globally in a row. Because there are things that he's saying that because nobody else will or will put it out in this way that we get so enamored by these extremes, like, oh my gosh, if this person isn't right, this other person must be completely correct. I just think that's a bad way to go about things. Anyway, um, that's a bit on why he got the $250 million deal. But I said there were 10 things I've learned from him, uh, nine things. I said there were 10, but I didn't like the, the, the 10th, so I exited off the list. And these are, these are from a creative point of view. And without worrying about whether you like him or not, there are things you can learn from him. In fact, and I also want to put this little bit in there. You should be learning from the wolves. You should be learning things from your enemies. You should not be trying to be like your enemies. But if your enemy or if you're the person you don't like or dislike or even don't care about is doing something that is interesting, you may want to go ahead and take that part of it and leave that person alone. Take the good from not, not even the good. Let me not say that. You want to take from somebody what can benefit you in a way that works to your advantage. Like there are certain people's styles of chess that I don't like. And I'm saying chess because I was playing last night and I saw somebody's particular style and I said, you know what? I can learn something from that. And I learned from this person's poor ways of playing how to capitalize that and use that style of play to my advantage. 
there are people who I, there's music that I don't listen to from certain musicians, but I, I know that, oh my gosh, they're doing a certain thing. I don't even like that music, but I can learn something musically and socially from what these people are doing. You remember the, the Spice Girls? Everybody was big on them and they were selling all these millions of albums, going on tour, selling out stadiums. And people were like, oh my God, who is listening to all these Spice Girls albums? Uh, I was, I bought one of them. That may come as a shock and surprise, but I listened to one of the Spice Girls albums. I was like, holy crap, if they're doing something on this level. I need to at least creatively understand what they're doing. So you should always check out the wolves. Just, that's just one creative, a creative thing you should do. And don't just dismiss it as, you know, oh, they're just blah. Or I can't understand how anybody could, you don't have to understand it. Looking into it is what I'm concerned about with you as a creative. I think we get, we can get much further as a society if we try to learn from each other instead of destroying each other. I think we can get a lot farther by well, saying, hey, listen, this guy's a complete jerk, but he figured something out. Let's see if we can recreate that without the jerk part of it. And that's one way to, to take somebody, trying to take somebody out is a, often a losing formula. Because there are many people who are going to say, hey, what's wrong with Joe Rogan? And that's going to cause people to go listen to him. It's that law of attraction thing. You're talking about it. It's going to increase it. I'm talking about it here because it's big in the news and I have some creative lessons I want to give to you. So while I'm, I want to keep my time here. So let me go ahead and get into that. If you have any questions on learning from wolves, I may do a whole podcast on how to learn, learn from the wolves without becoming one. I feel I've been around several in my life. And I'm still a pretty good guy. So as a creative, you're going to come across a lot of, a lot of issues and a lot of things. And I can tell you that Joe Rogan has, like him or not, accomplished a lot. And I'm going to give him accolades for that, for what he's accomplished, what he's done, how he was able to build up from where he's, where he's gone. He's done it in a much more I mean, you talk about people who came up in the past for some nonsense. We could talk about the Howard Stearns, the, the Ben Shapiro's, the, who else? Yeah, I mean, I spoke about Hannity and, my God, Alex Jones, some of these people who have come up on some nonsense over the years. And some have been platformed by Joe Rogan. Totally understand that. If you want a better platform for better things, here's some lessons you can do to take from Joe Rogan and apply it to your own creativity. Shout out to everybody in the chat, by the way. Let's get started. Number one. Number one way to learn, create, that. I don't even know I should call this list. Nine things I learned from Rogan. No, that doesn't sound right. All right, I'll name it later and put it up. But these are nine things that you can use from Joe Rogan's experience. Number one, surround yourself with your people. Cat Williams blasted Joe Rogan for this, but Joe Rogan actually surrounds himself with his people. And that provides a little bit of a buffer and automatic support group. It provides better visibility. It provides a defense mechanism and a way to market your product more effectively. If you have your people around you, they're going to help support. They're going to repost. They're going to blog. They're going to come to your defense. They're going to you can get on somebody else's podcast or somebody else's platform. So without going into all the names or maybe the six that Cat Williams talked about, there are plenty of people that came up with, with Joe Rogan and in that same bubble. And it's like that rising tide lifts all boats. Well, you know, Joe Rogan was that tide, tidal wave and he lifted up and brought the others with them. And it's a whole ecosystem. So if you've got creative people around you that you rock with, that you vibe with, that you have a certain rapport with, bring them up too. Have them host on your podcast. Put them out there as well. Repost their content. 
share their content, engage with what they're doing. Just check it, check up on them once in a while. Like, hey, I like what you're doing, Theo. Boom, keep doing your thing. And, you know, you go check out Theo and what he's doing. Also see us on the Show Versus Business podcast. Or you can go check out somebody like uh, Sugar, Sugar Gamers and Keisha Howard. Check out what she's doing with her whole crew. Check out, uh, let's see, Liberty Madison, what she's doing with her whole thing. Shout out to uh, Patrick Hickey Jr. Shout out to him and, you know, putting together a great comics brand. Shout out to all your people around you. Shout out to the Pod Squadron and, um, you know, the Geekish Network. You know, these are the people that I work with and I've platformed. I put on my podcast. I've had around me um, who I've worked with, talked to, discussed things with. That's that's one, one. Surround yourself with your people. And it's not like you're you're trying to leave your people behind or you're trying to, on the other end, siphon from them. But, you know, you people work better in groups. They say, if you want to go fast, go solo. If you want to go far, bring friends. So you can do a little bit of both. At times you go solo, then come back and get your friends and then you got to do something together. That's how it should be. This kind of moving ecosystem of people. So that was number one, surround yourself with your people. Number two, go with what you know. A lot of people will tell you, hey, here's the you know, if you, especially if you're coming from the marketing side of things and people in marketing will tell you, oh, you need to focus on this or, oh, this is the hot topic right now or, oh, this is where the people are going to be. Oh, follow the puck. You need to know where the puck is going and quote Wayne Gretzky and find out where the money is. But go with what you know. At some point, if you're going to really be doing this thing, whatever creative thing it is, it's going to take a lot of energy, a lot of practice, a lot of work, a lot of dedication, a lot of study research, and it shouldn't be a problem. It should be fun. So go with what you know. And I don't just mean no in terms of the technical sense, but when you know something and you're in there, you're passionate about it. I'm not saying rely solely on your passion because that's there's dangerous advice there too, but go with what you know. If you know how to juggle and you've been doing juggling for a while, hey, maybe throw up a, throw up a TikTok or a live or Facebook reel or whatever, of you juggling while you're talking about your thing because you're going with what you know. And people get ashamed of what they know a lot of times because it may seem weird to them to put out something that's so personal. But it's what you know. It's your passion, your vibe, your point of view. You know who you are. If you grew up in North Florida, South Georgia, like I did, then you can talk about it. You can talk about Forsyth County. You can talk about Rick or Ty. You can talk about being at the same vinyl, vinyl fever that T-Pain was at. I can talk about these things because that's what happened. I know them. So you talk about what you know, what you've experienced, what you've been through, what you've studied, what special perspectives you have. Go with what you know. And that's what Joe Rogan did. He went with comedy. He went with weird, gross-out kind of humor. And that ended him up on this program called Fear Factor where people were eating bugs. They were being drenched in nasty fluids. Uh, it was a whole thing. Uh, they were afraid of heights and they put them up on these poles. There were all kinds of weird antics that fit the Joe Rogan mold at the time. And now he continues that by talking about aliens, weird technologies and weird human beings and disgusting things here and there. He still, he still leans into that. He's going with what he knows. As I said, stand-up comedian, so he brings comics on because he can talk about that confidently. He knows physical fitness and the MMA lifestyle, so he talks about that. He can talk about that confidently. Go with what you know. If you're not in aliens, conspiracies, MMA, stand-up comedy, then you might not want to get on a podcast mic and start talking about that. You might not want to get on Instagram and talk about that just because Joe Rogan did it. Well, what, did, what can you do? What, what do you know of? And what do you have expertise with? Number three, be comfortable with discomfort and sacrifice. This is a hard one because everybody's out to be comfortable now. I think we've taken a little bit too far. 
we've gotten a little bit too into the comfortable mode where we have to have our Amazon right away. In fact, I don't think I should. I think I, I should have left Amazon unfulfilled this year. I shouldn't have re-upped this year because I got a little too convenient with some things and I got a little too lax with some things. But sometimes Amazon comes in during the clutch and you can get things for next day or the same day sometimes. Sometimes that was necessary and I didn't want to pay for it or pay too much extra for it. Prime Video was also there, but now they're charging for that. So I was getting a little comfortable and maybe I should have dropped Amazon this year, but I didn't because I was too comfortable. And I think we've gotten a little too comfortable with just how the way things are. And I think what people don't realize is how much of your comfort is subsidized by large corporations and large powerful forces getting what they want. Your comfort comes at the expense of being subsidized. Your comfort is being subsidized, basically. And I don't think people know how much of that comes at the expense of these large companies pushing their weight around. Like they're paying extra money so you can get comfortable. And by getting comfortable, they're getting you into their ecosystem, much in the same way Spotify did. Now, now once they've staked their claim and they've gotten you comfortable, then they can start controlling you because they know you don't want to be uncomfortable. And if you're uncomfortable with leaving Facebook, if you're uncomfortable with leaving X, if you're uncomfortable with leaving Amazon, then they've got you. But to do any type of creative growth, you need to be comfortable with discomfort. You need to be willing to go outside in the rain. Yes, it's still raining here in Los Angeles. You need to be uncomfortable with not having all of your food options. You need to be uncomfortable with what's served up sometimes because it's the only thing available. That will teach you how to be resourceful. That will teach you how to continue in the face of hardship. That will teach you how to get along. And it will also make you look for better options. Let's say there's something you always have, your car. And you know what? Just jump on the bus one day. You've forgotten what it's like to jump on the bus. Just jump on the bus one day. I've done it. It's interesting. It's not like a big accomplishment riding the bus. But one day I was like, you know what? Let me get on this bus, see where it goes. Um, see what the bus life is like. And it made, made me think about what was going on in my life at the time. And this actual situation was I didn't, I parked somewhere. And I didn't want to lose my parking space. Once again, if anybody knows about LA parking, it's kind of like the weather. You know, it's always hot. It's always no parking. I hopped on a bus and was like, you know what? Let me walk down this, this way and see where this can take me, see how far I can go. And intentionally, and maybe we shouldn't even frame it as discomfort and sacrifice. Maybe you should start framing it as refining what you can do, what you're good at. You know, they always, obviously you're not putting too much on, but if you're sculpting with clay or some other substance, you're putting on and you're taking away. We've got to keep on taking away to make sure that we're not getting bloated and bogged down with a lot of crap. So yeah, you got to get used to the discomfort and the sacrifice. Number four, you got to learn how to stand up and fight. Uh, one thing Joe Rogan is, is a uh, combatant. He does like to fight. It's interesting. There, there are people who just like to fight in certain areas of their life, and there are people who don't. Some people like to fight on their own terms, but don't like to fight on other terms. I honestly get really annoyed when I have to fight with people who don't have as much education on a subject, even if it's just reading a few articles. If I say, hey, I heard Joe Rogan got a $250 million deal. And they're like, no, he didn't. How did you say that? How do you know? What are you talking about? It's like, dude, Wall Street Journal reported, dude, how do you know? And it's like, Ugh, I don't even feel like arguing with these people sometimes. Like, I don't even feel like arguing on a lot of topics. Nevertheless, here I am on a podcast. 
So I will, I will jump in the arena sometimes. And it's not just on uneducated things. It's physical fighting. It's, are you going to, are you going to stake your claim at a job? Someone jumps in front of you repeatedly. Are you going to say something about it? Are you going to fight for your position in, in traffic? A friend of mine came up to LA one time and was really freaking out over the traffic. Like, oh my God, they won't let me in. I was like, hey, this is LA. No one lets you in. You got to jump in. And this person was so upset. Like, why, why do I have to jump in? Why can't they just let me in? I turn on my blinkers. Like, hey man, blinkers are maybe, maybe one in five people ever use their blinkers in their life down here. I didn't even... I didn't even bother trying to compare what was going on here with something that happens in like New York. I've driven in New York before. That's kind of wild. No one lets you in there. You got to curse, honk your horn, cut people off. It's, it's wild. But yeah, you got to be ready to stand up and fight. And how do you do that? Start fights. I know that sounds crazy, but get into situations where you're not just being pushed around by the waters. You're not just being blown around by the wind. By fight, I don't necessarily mean try to hurt somebody. I don't necessarily mean upset yourself, engage in the negative, bowl somebody over. I don't mean bullying or any of that. But if something is being a certain way and you have to put your own influence out there to make it another way, a lot of times you're going to introduce the concept of fighting for what you think is right. You got to have that, you got to have that practice. So standing up and fighting for yourself. And yes, I realize Joe Rogan does both of those in terms of stand up and physical combat. That was the point. Number five, be a leader and take risk. So when I say, you know, a lot of people, they call themselves leads. They call themselves, you know, I'm the leader of this. And a lot of times they aren't leaders. They're just bosses. They're just being bossy people, throwing out commands and not really leading the way. Now, what does it mean to lead? And what does it mean to boss? What does it mean to have a position of power? And what does it mean to actually be a leader? I want to make this distinction because a lot of people think that because they have a mouthpiece, because they're, they have a position at some job, uh, because they have money, because they have some access to information or something that somebody else does that they're a leader or because they have a large following on Instagram that they're a leader. That does not necessarily make you a leader. That just means you have a lot of quote unquote followers. You're not necessarily leading anybody anywhere. You may just be talking to be a leader. You have to say, Hey, listen, I have a direction I'm going in. It's over there. I'm going to lead, be out in the front, and go in that direction. And the things that come up, I may fight them. I may evade them. I may innovate. But I will go in this direction. I'm taking these people and these ideas with me, and I'm going to defend these people and these ideas. That's what leaders do. Shout out to Optimus Prime. Shout out to Duke from G.I. Joe. Shout out to Lion-O. Yes, these are my 80s cartoon references. Shout out to, uh, let me try to think of a more recent reference. Shout out to the kids in Stranger Things who <laughs> are leading themselves through all kinds of strange things. Yeah, shout out to uh, Iron Man and Tony Stark for leading the Avengers even with their differences. To be a leader, you have to go through and do these, do these tasks that nobody else will do. You have to be out there, out front. Leading from behind is not what you want. You have to be a leader and actually take risk. You'll notice all leaders have, have failed at a lot of things and people will call you out and like, well, you failed here, you messed up here, you didn't do this right. I know, I'm a leader, that's what happens. When you're out front, you're going to mess things up. But the point is, you're out front and you're taking them to a better place than they would have gone otherwise. If they would have only taken three steps on their own and you take them 10 steps, 
And then they complain about taking two steps back. It's like, hey, listen, we went 10 steps forward. Yeah, but what about these two steps back? Hey, hey, sorry about that. I'm a leader. You would have only gotten three steps on your own. I took you eight steps forward. Uh, Please leave your complaints in the complaint box. I'm sorry, and I empathize. Obviously, you don't want to bully anybody over. You don't want to bully. Cover that before. But to be a leader and take risks, that's another thing I learned. Or another example I'll take from Rogan. Number six, be entertaining. Joe Rogan is an entertainer. And let's not forget that, just an entertainer. Brings out the entertaining side of things. A lot, for a lot of creatives, I see them creating things and they're not trying to entertain. You know, you can educate, enlighten, and entertain. A lot of marketers are looking for one of these three or all of these three. But I think in today's climate, in today's economy of attention, entertaining is a very, very valuable skill. Can you just get on and have people listen to you because they're entertained by what you say? Are you reading from a dictionary? Yes, okay, then that's boring. I'm not very entertained. You may be the most important podcast around, but if you're just reading and boring, I'm sorry, it's going to be hard to follow along. I know media literacy, people need to be able to read the media. People need to be able to understand messaging. People need to be able to understand how to break down financial reports, news articles, scientific findings, academic papers, etc. In any of those situations, being entertaining is good. Also, when you learn how to be entertaining, you learn how to see when you're being led astray by people who are talking nonsense and just happen to be entertaining. So at some point while you're listening to Joe Rogan and being entertained, you should stop and say, hey, wait a minute, this is more entertaining than it is correct. Let me double check these facts. Let me call out Joe Rogan for misleading or his guest for misleading. Because that does happen sometimes. You're like, wait a minute, what the hell was that? All right, this is entertainment. Mm, Got to remember that. But being entertaining can get you very far. So that's why I always bring that up. And I was raised on video games and cartoons. So I know the power of entertainment. I try to put out something that's entertaining as well as informative on the creative side. Honestly, I'd rather just sit back and really talk a lot about the core essence of creativity. But you need a rapper for that kind of stuff. Otherwise, you're boring and you end up at the bottom of the podcast charts. Eh, I don't want to do that. Number seven, conquer yourself inside and out. So to a creative lesson here is learning how to conquer yourself. Take what you already have in your personal being and conquer it. Any things that are pushing you around, your habits, your lifestyle choices, your thoughts, your mannerisms, the way you are, can you conquer that? Many people kind of shrug their shoulders and say, well, I can't do anything about that because this is how I am. Well, I was raised this way. Well, you can't expect me to all of moment in time, and that's fine. But are you able to actually conquer yourself on the inside and out? So when I say on the inside and out, a lot of people try to conquer their external, and which is fine. They want to conquer the way they're perceived on the outside. They want to, like, hey, I'm going to do this every day. I have the discipline. I'm always going to look like I'm appearing a certain way. I'm always going to say the right things outside. That's fine, that's great, and that's lovely and dandy, but it's on the outside. Now, if you're just working on the inside and letting your outside be neglected, you've got a problem there too. So you can't just sit around thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm perfect on the inside. I know what's going on in my heart. You can't tell me this. You have to have an external component to it as a creative, because if you're creating anything and no one sees it, then are you really creating anything or are you just going through a process of mental masturbation? You have to be able to do both. You have to consider the external, the outside, and the internal. And you have to be able to conquer both of those with yourself. I have to think about what I say before I say it. 
this is one of the reasons why as an introvert, I get headaches. Because if I spend too much time talking to people and trying to phrase what I'm thinking about, then I get a headache. On the other hand, if I don't do that and I just start saying stuff, then people will write me off as weird. My thoughts are all over the place. Um, they may, I've been called mean, heartless bastard. And that's because I have random thoughts that come up that don't seem like they're empathizing with anybody because I'm a true introvert thinking about introvert things. Not that I don't care about you. I love and care for all of you deeply, but I'm probably not getting a lot of benefit from our interactions. I have a lot of good interactions with a lot of good people, but it's not where I get my energy. It's tiring for me. Unless, of course, you know, we're, we're talking on certain topics that work with me or vibe with my internal compass. I don't know how to put it. I'm not like anti-people, but I'm definitely an introvert where I'll find some topics and I'll go off and study it for a couple of days and be like, holy crap, this is great. And they're like, oh my gosh, you went away for a week. What happened? Were you alone? And I'm like, well, yeah, I was going away for a week and do my thing. Oh my gosh, what's wrong with you? And then they want to put you in a institution somewhere because you're happy being alone with your thoughts. Sorry, that is me. But yes, conquer your inside and out. And you should always be working on both. Another thing I learned from Joe, actually, huh, I might, I might change this list up. All right, I'll put that one there. Release your inhibitions. If you're a creative, the best part of what you create, and I mentioned this a little bit in the go with what you know, but if you're a creative and you're creating things, the best goes back a little bit because our pure unfettered selves don't generally go over well with people. We have to figure out a way to translate it. But instead of translating, try to figure out how you can release more of your inhibitions and then try to repair any damage that may have caused after the fact. Like the old, you know, the old ad just says, you know, seek forgiveness, not permission. Of course, there are bounds to that and you want to make sure that you're being considerate, compassionate, et cetera. And you don't want to go off the rails, just become completely unhinged, talking nonsense. But release some of these inhibitions. There are a lot of governors in our bodies that hold us back. And if you know the word governor, it's not, not like the politician type of person but a mechanism that holds hold you back for your own safety. And when anything holds you back for your own safety, there's a certain range that you can get into that allows you to play in the red zone. It's like the red zone exists because you can do it. You can get that far. But you don't need to be there all the time. You know, when you're, when you climb up a ladder and it starts to get really high, you're starting to get into your own yellow zone, then your own red zone. And you start to have this inhibitions, these inhibitions. And you need to find a way to release those somehow, capture them, practice them. You know, if you don't just say, oh, I'm afraid of heights. Hey man, uh, climb up a ladder and climb up a ladder every day and start practicing going up a little higher. Maybe one day you can start cleaning out your own uh, roof gutters, your rain gutters on your roof. Maybe you can start taking a glass elevator. I knew this one hotel that had a glass elevator, it freaked people out. So there were two sets of elevators, one that weren't on the outside of the building and ones that were on the, you know, covered up. So, you know, you can go take the covered up elevator all you want because quote unquote, you don't like heights. If you want to release your inhibitions, you need to start practicing taking that glass elevator. Maybe take it up two floors, see how that freaks you out, then get off and take the other elevator up. Whole point is, it's practice. You gotta expand yourself. Gotta grow a little more and release your inhibitions. And I think one of the things that is so interesting 
And at the same time, what gets him in trouble on his podcast a lot is the whole releasing inhibitions. Um, if you know the comedian circle, the comedian way of doing things, what they tend to do is speak thoughts out loud without inhibition. Even if they don't totally understand their own thoughts, they're trying to put something out there and understand it a little more. Artists, when you're doing your sketches, sometimes you just take different swings with your brush, different strokes with your pen, different canvases, different types of materials, different paints, different combinations. And you're releasing them out into the world to see what people say, to get a reaction. It's not necessarily to get a rise out of people, but you need to start pushing those boundaries to release your inhibition. Why were you held back by this thing? Why were you afraid to go for forward? Why are you only comfortable doing this? Maybe afraid is not the right word, but why do you only feel so comfortable engaging in the small little circle of things? Isn't your circle a little bigger? Release some of those inhibitions. Afraid of standing up and speaking on, you know, speaking out. Try it in small arenas. I was afraid of speaking out at one point, and that is actually the reason why I got into stand-up comedy. I liked speaking, but I thought it took far too much work. I thought it took far too much practice, far too much foresight and prep time. I was like, this is, this is terrible. It's not that I'm bad at public speaking. It's just that it takes so much work. Why did it? Why does this make me so uncomfortable? Why does it take so much work? I know what I'll do. I'll study stand-up comedy. I started studying stand-up comedy, and then I met a friend, and I'm like, I can be funny too. Shout out to John Miles. So I started doing stand-up comedy. And it became natural to me just to speak things a certain way, to always make things seem a little bit humorous so I could connect with people better. People who knew me from years and years ago were like, my gosh, you used to be such a, I'm like, yeah, I know. I was just communicating. But now I released my inhibitions and learned how to get a little better with what I say. So now when I say these things, they aren't as inflammatory because that's not my purpose to inflame anybody. I'm releasing inhibitions to get better creative to get better creative output. That's what I mean to say. All right. And finally, find a way to get paid for doing what you love and what you like and where your passion steers you. This is all very interesting, just talking about Joe Rogan, about being, him being, you know, this, this character, this muscle head, this, you know, jokester. And what does he know about? It's like, hey, man, yeah, people are going to come after you, rightfully so in a lot of cases. But if it's something you like to do, you can get paid for it. This dude has gotten paid basically by doing what he likes to do his entire life, talking to who he likes to talk to, not being held down by any platform, going on road shows, just doing what he likes to do, not held back by any type of you know, gate. And if he wanted to make more money, he actually could. I mean, think about it. For all this time, the number one podcast in the world globally, we're talking 8 to 11 million views, listens on his podcast on a closed platform. If you go to YouTube, even the clips, the small clip that he's doing and putting out on YouTube not the whole show, even those rack up millions of views. So this tells you something. You can get paid for what you love to do. You just have to figure out a way to work it. Now, a lot of people say, hey, I can't get paid for, you know, what I'm good at. I can't get paid directly for, for this thing that I love to do. I love to bake cookies, but no one's paying me for it. It's like, hey, listen, sometimes you have to do 
I shouldn't say have to do. Sometimes you'll find it beneficial and enjoyable to do the prep work that allows you to do the good work. I used to hate when people told me this as a kid, like, well, hey, you do this so you can do what you really like to do. And I was fr so frustrated. Like, why can't I ju just do what I really like to do? But when I started viewing the, the part of the process, the buildup to what I like to do as part of the process, then I started molding and adjusting that process to where it was fun for me the entire way. And it's, to me, it's almost like I enjoy going to the gas station before a, a road trip because I got to hear the little ding early in the morning. I got to get some snacks from the gas station. I got to talk to people. I got to check my tires and the, you know, the smell of the, the tires as I'm checking the air on them and filling them up. That whole vibe started to become exciting to me because it was part of my interpretation of a trip. I'm creating a road trip for myself. I got to talk to people. I got to get new snacks. I would buy a whole, I would get a whole bunch of new music, make a whole bunch of new music playlists. I like to make music playlists. I like to travel. I like to do all these things. And I was getting hung up on this idea of, oh, uh, I got to get the car fixed, got to go to the gas station, got to go to the grocery store. I started to make all of that a fun part of the process. Once I attached that, the, the better I did that prep work, the better my experience was for the thing that I like to do. And I started connecting them. Then I started understanding, okay, it's not about swallowing a bunch of nonsense so I can get to where I want to be. It's that I can make all of this part of what I want to be. If there is a job that's on your way to being what you want to be, you can adjust that job to be very exciting, very entertaining, and actually enjoyable. Instead of just sitting there wasting your time, like I know I like to use the example of, of Grant Cardone when he was talking about working at McDonald's, how he hated the job, but there was another person there who loved the job because he wanted to own franchise restaurants in the future. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, if I can start to frame everything I do as a, not just a means to an end, but everything I do as part of my end goal, then that makes the end goal, the journey, the prep work, the process, the destination, the goal setting, all of it works together and I start to learn to love it. And that's getting paid to do what I enjoy doing. So figuring out a way to make everything part of what you enjoy doing is going to move you closer and closer. And I know we want the destination right off the bat, but getting closer and closer to the destination should be enjoyable as well. In fact, part of this podcast, a lot of you realize I'm just doing the audio. I'm sitting here live streaming because I want the, I want the process to get there to be enjoyable. So instead of being hung up and upset about the fact that I have to go live, set up the camera and the lights, which I don't like doing, I really don't. I wanted to start with, Hey, you know what? Instead of not doing it at all, let me just get this set up with the audio. Maybe it's a little janky appearing in just an audio form with this, you know, with this Joe Rogan face here. Maybe that just appears a little bit annoying, but guess what? We're here to make it happen. And do it anything going on. Uh, yeah, this is actually live. Somebody asked me if this is actually live. Yeah, totally live, but they've left right now. So, huh, you know, I hadn't thought about that. Somebody asked me, is this actually live? Yes, I do post these live. Um, I didn't get around to that comment in time. I was like five minutes late for that. But yes, it is live. Let me respond to this person. I wonder, are there a lot of people going on live and just, you know, you can do this. You can post your content and just have it run as if it were live, but then not actually be live. Yeah, that's a problem. I don't know if there's a way that you can get rid of those people or or not. But yes, this is live and I do this most weeknights. There is no no after show today because this one ran right up to the hour mark. Ran past the hour mark. But thank you all for listening to this one. 
And hey, that's just a, let me do a recap here. Listen, don't care if you like Joe Rogan or not. There are things you can learn from all the wolves and all the people, um, whether you like them or not. And Joe Rogan is the best podcaster out there. And to say that I didn't try to learn from what he's doing would be false. That would be incorrect of me. So what are the nine things that I learned from Rogan? Surround yourself with your people, number one. Number two, go with what you know. Number three, be comfortable with discomfort and sacrifice. Number four, learn how to stand up and fight. Number five, be a leader and take risk. Number six, be entertaining. Number seven, conquer yourself on the inside and out. Number eight, release your inhibitions. And number nine, find a way to get paid to do what you love. That is going to be it for this episode. Do I want to call them episode? Sure, I'll call them episodes. That's going to be it for this episode of Creativity Threads Life, the podcast where I talk about how creativity goes in and out of all parts of our life and can make us a better people, can make us better, make a better world, make a better life for yourself. Um, I do this most weeknights. I'm going to try to get back to around to that 6.30 p.m. Pacific time, see how that goes. I'm going to, the community is up, by the way. If you haven't heard the ad or you haven't seen it somewhere else, my community is up. It is not a Patreon. It is a circle. Definitely appreciate you checking that out. If you, if you will, you can go to creativitythreadslife.com, get the link there, or check out the show notes. I'm going to start putting it all, all the show notes where you can uh, check out the circle community. Also, thank you for those who've joined this, joined the Creative Study Lounge. It's not just a community there for listening to the podcast, but we also talk about all manner of creative topics. So if you got any topics for me, by the way, I do take priority from the community, but feel free to put something in the comments. Let me know what you're thinking. As always, follow, like, subscribe, check me out on Apple. And that's going to do it for this one. Peace.